so we're talking about complacency this morning. We're talking about complacency. Let's define the word. It's a feeling of security or pleasure, often unaware of a potential danger. Very, very important. Let me read that again since it's not on the screen. A feeling of security or pleasure, often unaware of a potential danger. We're kind of lulled to sleep here, unaware that something is just about to happen and we're not ready for it. There's potential danger just ahead. Complacency. Second definition, according to the dictionary, self-satisfaction or smugness with a current situation or condition. A sense of smugness. Everything's okay. It will continue as it has been. Now, for a Jesus follower, extended times of complacency can be sinful. Extended periods of complacency in our spiritual lives can be sinful. Okay, we want to kind of unpackage that thought a little, settle into your heart just for a moment. Now, understand what I'm not talking about. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There are times when we all need to pull back and rest. Life is just overwhelming. We just need to sit and soak. Uh, We need to recover. We need to renew. We need to refresh. There are periods in all of our lives like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, being so smug with the current situation that we're unaware of the potential danger that's just ahead. That's complacency. There's a big difference. A big difference. One is temporary. The other becomes uh, kind of habitual and a lifestyle. And we become lazy and be careful with that spiritually. It can be sinful. Here's what Jesus said, uh, speaking to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. One of the advantages of the screens going out is someone approached me and said, you know what, Uh, give us time to turn in our Bibles to a passage if it's not on the screen. I like that. You know what, I've pretty much discarded electronic Bible. I like paper. I like to be able to write in it. I like to be able... uh, No, 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 that's a conviction. No cheering convictions. Keep it between yourself and... Thank you. Okay, so anyway, but you can express joy with that. I just like to be able to write my Bible, right? Then I can go back and I can date it and I can see the history. Uh, One of the things I know the kids are going to fight over when I'm gone is my Bible because it's just jammed with my life history. It's all marked, hacked up and... uh, Man, my life is in those pages. There's tear stains on those pages. There's my life lived right there. So at any rate, uh, if you have your Bibles and would like to turn to Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to give you time to do that right now, okay? Otherwise, pull out your device and scroll down, right? Okay, here we go. Jesus speaking, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, here's a passage of Scripture that certainly fits our definition of complacency. There is, in fact, in this passage of Scripture, this great feeling of security or pleasure, unaware of the potential danger. I have everything I want, everything I need. Life's pretty good. Don't rock the boat. Okay? And we become lukewarm. What does Jesus do with lukewarmness? 
spits it out of his mouth. Now, that's not a very pretty picture, but I think a very accurate one of what he thinks of spiritual complacency. So, if you're comfy, cozy, and complacent where you are spiritually, I am giving you permission right now to nap for the next 30 minutes or so. Just go ahead, take a little snooze. Don't worry, someone will wake you up before we lock the doors. It'll be okay. If you're just really content with where you are spiritually, nighty-night, nighty-night. Take a 30-minute break right here, okay? No problem at all. But this morning, I want to speak to those who want more of God, specifically to those who are complacent because of spiritual dryness. Now, that's going to be the focus because we have to kind of narrow this thing down to get it all in 30 minutes. I want to talk to those of you who want more of God, but sense a complacency spiritually, and you sense it because you're spiritually dry. Hmm. Those who realize there is no such thing as a coasting Christian in the transmission of a believer, there is only forward or reverse. There is no neutral. So if that's you, let's go. Now, I'm going to ask this. How many of you have ever run out of gas while driving your car? Wow. Wow. I am stunned. How many of you have done it more than once? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Oh, sorry. That's something I've never done yet, but I have come very, very close. Once I was driving an SUV I was not familiar with. It was a new one. The gas gauge got lower and lower, but I kept on going and going because that's who I am. I'm a risk taker. I like pushing things right to the absolute limit to see what happens when you go over the edge. It's fun living like that, right? It is. I like living like that. Well, finally, the low fuel light came on and a warning bell rang. I wasn't familiar with that. The only problem was we were out in a remote area and there were very, very few gas stations uh, available. And I started to sweat. The vehicle calculated, you've got 20 miles to go before empty. Okay, nothing. 12 miles to go, still nothing in sight. And finally, I saw a sign ahead for gas and pulled in just before the tank ran dry. That was close. That was a close call. I didn't run out, but I came really close. But what I want to say about that is this. Every follower of Jesus will come to a barren and desperate place in our spiritual journey. Every one of us will come to a place of dryness where it feels like we've run out of spiritual gas. It happens to all of us. We need a fresh filling of God in our souls to continue our journey on the highway to heaven. We've got to plug in our car or put more gas in the tank or however we do it these days. And if that's how you're feeling today, take heart. You're not alone. You're in the right place. You're in the right place this morning. Many share the same struggle. That's why this was one of the top sins on the survey. Complacency. Complacency. The Holy Spirit has put his finger on it for this church. Complacency. So what do we do with it? That's the question. Believers throughout the ages have shared in this struggle. I'm reading for you from Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Here's what's written. Hear the word of the Lord. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy, giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. 
Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So from his spiritual dryness, this writer cries out for God's fullness. God, where are you? Where are you? We hear the heartfelt cry of this unnamed psalmist asking God, restore the life, restore the passion, fill my tank again. God, I want more of you and less of me. He had grown cold toward the heart of worship. Worshiping God was no longer thrilling. Notice he says that his soul longs for God. He can't seem to find God like he once did. There's a disconnect here. I am dry. I am dry. In verse 4, he recalls how he once led a multitude of people to worship the Lord. He was the leader, and now he can't seem to find God for himself. God, where are you? Where are you? These are the thoughts of a dry man. So in your notes, here are some observations about spiritual dryness that we can gain from this passage. Every Jesus follower experiences dryness at some point. Now, the issue becomes, if we remain in that area of spiritual dryness, it will lead to complacency, and we are unaware of the danger that's just ahead. Careful, careful, careful. Spiritually, spiritual dryness happens to every person in this room. But it can be very, very dangerous. Okay? If you're involved in ministry, it's an occupational hazard. It goes with the territory. Give, 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 and there's nothing being put in, and we can run out of gas real quick. And if you're a parent, you get the idea. Uh, we, our lives are so busy now, we just run, 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 and there's no more gas. The good news, there are causes and cures for spiritual dryness. Here's some causes of spiritual dryness found in Scripture. The first one is physical exhaustion. 1 Kings 18 and 19, a fascinating passage of Scripture. You know it well. The prophet Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel. The Mount Carmel meltdown. But then he takes off running. Jezebel's going to kill me i got to get out of here. So he ends up under the tree and he says, uh, God, just take my life. Physical exhaustion. Secondly, extended spiritual output, Jonah 4.8. Now, Jonah, of course, ran from God. Then he was used by God. And then he gets pooped out for God, right? In chapter 4, verse 8, he's sitting under that thing that grew up. And he says, uh, I just want to die, God. I just want to die. I'm just empty. I'm just empty. Thirdly, Seasons of life, Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote in that passage of Scripture, you know what? When you get older, your body starts to fall apart. The eyes go, the hearing goes, the body goes. Everything starts to slow down. Doesn't work quite like it used to. And when we get older, sometimes the tendency is to lose inertia and to slow down. And what grieves me is I see way too many pastors getting their late 50s and 60s, and they just start to coast. They just start to coast. They're out of gas. They become complacent. And that can happen at any age. Age doesn't have a lot to do with it. It has to do with where we are with Jesus right now. We have to resist that. Sometimes just getting older slows things down, and we end up in a very dry place. Fourthly, spiritual opposition. Jeremiah the prophet 
Now, you know, if you read the book of Jeremiah and, and study his ministry, there's not one recorded person that turned back to God because of his preaching. A lifetime of preaching with no known results. Try that one on. So in Jeremiah 15:10, he says, everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. Why am I doing this? It leads them to a point of spiritual dryness. Why do I keep on doing this? Nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. Wow. Disobedience, Psalm 38. The psalmist writes, I'm miserable because of my sin. And in fact, I've done this to myself. My spiritual dryness is, a, is caused by my own sinful heart. Hmm. We move on. Neglecting our relationship with God, Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12. The admonition, don't forget God, don't forget God. If we forget him, we're out on our own and we'll get spiritually dry. Extended exposure to the world and its ways, number seven. John wrote this, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, all the cravings of this world will wear against our soul to the point where we're spiritually dry and we become numb. And there we are. Be careful, be careful. There's potential danger in that place. Be very careful. Prolonged problems, Genesis 27. You remember the story of Rebecca and Isaac? And in the midst of that story, Rebecca says, life's not worth living in Genesis 27, 46. Life's just not worth living. And all these folks, and there's a multitude of examples in Scripture that we could give. These are all examples of spiritual dryness. Great people of the faith, spiritually dry, becoming complacent, unaware of the danger that's just ahead. Now think with me for a moment. Do you feel spiritually dry in any of the following areas that are listed there in your personal life, in your own walk with Jesus? Spiritually dry? Family life? Church life? Work life? Other? Think about that for a moment. Is there complacency that's set in because of spiritual dryness in any of those areas. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Now, A.W. Tozer, a man I greatly respect, uh, a prophet from the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, from the last century, once said that failure in the Christian life is seldom a blowout, but rather a slow leak. I like that. It's seldom a blowout, but rather it's a slow leak. We just kind of wind things down, and then we find ourselves in some place we never imagined we would end up. How did I get here? What's happened? Why am I so dry? Why am I so complacent? I just don't seem to care anymore. I don't care about God. I don't care about the lost. I don't care about what Jesus has done for me like I once did. Now, a slow leak in our spiritual lives happened gradually, almost unnoticed. And let's look at another passage to help us understand how this works. Romans chapter 7. I love the book of Romans. Romans 6 through 8 is one of the most profound passages in the entire Bible. Romans 6 through 8. It is Paul's understanding of the gospel and how it works out practically in our lives. But I'm in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read several verses here. Romans seven fifteen to 20. Listen and see if you can identify with this internal conflict that's going on within the heart of every Jesus follower. It's there in all of us. Here's what Paul wrote. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. So I am not the one doing it. It is a sin living in me that's, that does it. 
And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Oh, what a miserable person I am, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? A powerful picture of the struggle that's going on within every heart. I want to do the right thing. I end up doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. Somebody help me out here, he's crying. Somebody help me out. If that's what's going on within every one of us, one part of us being pulled one way, one part of us being pulled the other, can lead to spiritual dryness, which in turn results in complacency in our spiritual lives. That's a dangerous place to be. The conflict is real. It is intense. It can cause us to grow very weary and complacent. Now, for centuries, interpreters of this passage have debated, uh, who's talking here? Is it a believer? Is it unbeliever? Is it Paul? Is Paul talking about someone else? Blah, 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 blah. Some suggest Paul is writing about a carnal or unspiritual Christian. But after examining this passage for more than 30 years, here's the conclusions that I've reached. I think in Romans chapter 7, Paul is actually describing a spiritually mature Christian who is measuring themselves against God's holiness and discovering how far short they fall. You see, here's the paradox. Here's the paradox. The closer we get to God, the clearer we see ourselves in our own sin and how far away we really are. Have you ever experienced that? Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 6, taken before the Lord. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the train of his robe, fill the temple with glory. But what did he say? Woe to me, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips. Whoa, I don't belong in this place. A prophet of God, in the presence of God. Whoa, I'm in the wrong place here. And that happens to each of us. The closer we get to God, the farther away we see he really is. He's so much unlike us. But he kept coming closer. Get a little closer. Come on. Come on. He welcomes us just the way we are. Wow. It's an interesting paradox. The person described in this passage, I believe, has a deep awareness of their own sin, but also a deep desire to please God. I want to do the right thing, but I just can't get there. It seems to me that Paul is speaking of himself. Why would I say that? The first person singular is found 46 times in Romans 7, 7, 25. That's the word I. That's the word I. 46 times he says the word I. I. Hmm. In verses 7 through 13, only past tense verbs are used. I believe Paul was talking about his life before Christ. And then it changes dramatically. You can't tell that in your English Bibles. Beginning in verse 14 till the end of the chapter, only present tense verbs are used. There's significance there. This obvious and abrupt change in verb tense suggests Paul is describing his own life as a believer. He's with us. How many of you have felt like that? I want to do the right thing, but I don't. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do. We all feel like that, don't we? We feel the struggle going on. Certainly we do. Paul reminds us that even an apostle of Christ, he possessed the potential for great sinfulness. He did. We do. Even though we've been delivered through Faith in Christ from sin's mastery and condemnation. We are all dealing with the sin nature. And if we allow it to wear us down and wear us out, we will become spiritually dry and then quite complacent. Oof. Wake up. What do we do? 
Here's what John said. If we claim to be without sin, this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, 1 John 1, 8 to 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So for everybody here, who's a sinner? Who claims to be without sin? Who claims to sin? No sin. Sin? No sin. Okay, we're, we're on the same page. Right, I like that. I like that. Paul was not sin's slave, but he was tempted by sin's deceit, sin's siren call. You see, after we put our faith in Christ for salvation, sin is no longer our master. That's his point, I believe, in Romans chapter 6. He says, sin is no longer your master. But like an exiled ruler, sin manages to survive. It's in another place, but it's still creating havoc in our soul. It's not the master anymore, but it's still there. David was a man after God's own heart. He was honored when Messiah Jesus was called the son of David. Yet no Old Testament God-lover was a worse sinner or more conscious of his sin than David was. And look at what David did. If we have that same experience, we identify with what Paul has written in Romans 7. I want to do the right thing, end up doing the wrong thing. And sometimes we grow weary and we just kind of put it on autopilot spiritually. Careful. Now this conflict within Paul caused him to cry out from his heart, in verses 24 and 25 again of Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's a profound statement. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This struggle that's going on within me. Who is going to... I am miserable because of this. Who's going to deliver me? Interesting word picture. It's reported that near Tarsus, where Paul was born, according to Acts 22.3, there was an ancient tribe's that uh, sentenced convicted murderers to a real nasty form of capital punishment. Now, we're not talking about capital punishment, but here's what happened in this tribe that Paul would have been familiar with coming from from Tarsus. The corpse of the slain person was tied tightly to the body of the murderer. Hand to hand, face to face, foot to foot. The murderer and his victim were thrown out in the hot Mediterranean sun and remained there until the murderer himself died. After a few days, which must have seemed like an eternity to that convicted man, the decay of the person he had slain infected and killed him. So Paul cries out, Who will deliver me from this body of death? I wonder if he wasn't thinking of that which he had grown up seeing. Hand to hand, face to face, foot to foot. That infected body eating the life out of his own. Who's going to cut this thing off? Who's going to free me from this body of death causing me to do the things I don't want to do and not to do the things I do want to do? Somebody deliver me from this. He cries out. And perhaps that's the cry of your heart. It is the cry of my heart. I want more of God. Yet this inner turmoil, this spiritual battle that each of us face has produced this sense of complacency and slumber. We think we have it all together and we really don't. How desperately we need more of God. How desperately we need Him. 
how he needs to wake us up again, our, restoring us to our first love, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're not alone, and I'm not alone. You know what? God's not done either. That's the really good news. Here's the rest of the story, picking it up in Romans 7.25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Isn't that terrific? Who's going to deliver him from this body of death? The power of the Holy Spirit. For those who belong to Christ Jesus, that becomes my most fundamental and foundational question. Do you belong to him? Do you belong to Jesus? That's where the journey truly begins, does it not? Do you belong to Jesus? If not, we're left on our own with that stinking, rotting corpse strapped to us, and it's killing us. But for those who belong to him, there is freedom. Thank God, Paul says. Thank God. If you don't belong to Jesus, Jen had her birthday. You can have your spiritual birthday right now. Right now. Acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Savior. It was Jesus who went to that cross to pay the price for the sin that ugly body of death that each of us bears on our back he freed us he ripped that thing off of us he took the punishment for us and he gives us life and forgiveness and hope and peace wow what a deal do you belong to jesus i trust that you do if you don't Love to talk to you about that. How you can know him. How you can know this one who will take that body of death and take it off of us. Freedom. Freedom. Now, earlier I asked, how many of you ever run out of gas while driving? Can I see your hands again? I just need to laugh right now. (laughs) Okay, that was good. I couldn't believe how many have done it more than once. Let me ask you this. How many of you have done it more than twice? Oh, come on. All right, I got to finish it. Three times. Hold up. Keep your hands up. Three times. Okay, it's going. Four. Five. Five. I hear five. Six. Kathy, I'm not going any further. You win. You win. Okay, stand up, Kathy, would you? Okay, sit down. Thanks. Although I've never run out of gas while driving yet, I did own a car once. We did, Cindy, remember? That leak gas? Remember that one? Each morning there would be a puddle of gas under the tank. This was not only dangerous, it was expensive. When the gas leaks out, it's a dangerous situation. When the tank runs dry, it's a dangerous situation. Yet that wasn't nearly as bad as the time we were traveling. I smelled a strong odor of gas we didn't have air conditioning back in the day and uh, windows were open nearly half mile ahead of us there was this guy and you could see gas leaking out of his tank and so as I watched this thing unfold in the traffic ahead of me the guy pulls over and as he did his entire gas tank dropped down boom I drove up and I was starting to go around him being the compassionate Christian that I am 
I saw him get out of his car and bend down to look at what had happened. He bends down to look underneath, and he's got a cigarette dangling from his mouth. Um, I didn't stay for the fireworks. Um, I was a good Christian, kept on going. I probably should have stopped. I always regretted that one. But I kept on driving. I don't know what happened, but the point is this. Some of us may feel like we're in that same place spiritually this morning. We feel like we're out of gas. And whether it leaked out or your tanks dropped out or we've just run out, it's time for a fresh filling. It's time to wake up again. It's time to be revived again to be shaken from our complacency by a God that loves us. Sometimes he'll gently shake us. Sometimes it's not going to be so gentle when he shakes us out of our complacency because he knows we're in a particularly dangerous place and he wants us not in that place. He wants us in a safe place, walking with him no matter where we're going or what the circumstances look like. Always being beside Jesus is the right place. He's not in the boat he's in the storm and sometimes he says come out of the boat it's safe in there I get that but you're complacent there oh how he loves us and for some of us in this room he's saying it's time to take another step for all of us he's saying love me more love you less and watch what I can do with your life and so I put an assignment for you this week let God speak let God speak and these are just some thoughts sometime this week just ask Lord you have permission to reveal any dry spot in my life but you know what I think he's already revealed dry spots he's already put his finger on it in your heart and because of that there's some complacency that's set in he's already done that He's the Holy Spirit. That's his job, and he's really good at it. He does it because he loves us. And then ask him, Lord, show me if there's any causes for my dryness that I'm responsible for. Am I responsible for this dryness? Have I separated from you, God? Show me that. And then, Lord, show me how much you love me right now, especially in the area. Take some time with God. But for right now, as we conclude our service, I know that God has been speaking to my heart about this. I don't want to coast to the end. I don't want to. I want more of Jesus, more of him, more and more of him, and less and less of me. He's moving us from comatose complacency, divine discontentment, to full surrender. He's taking us down that journey, saying, wake up, come back to your first love. Love me like you once did. And he cries out to his church, Come, come, come. And he's waiting. All we need to do is ask. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Fall fresh on us. Come, Lord Jesus, we welcome you. Shake us from our complacency. The joy of our salvation be restored. Oh God, would you do that? Would you do that? Would you do that? trust that's the cry of your heart I'm going to ask us all to stand as we conclude our service
as the Lord speaks to us. I'm just wondering if there are some here who need to publicly say, you know what? Honestly, I'm a little complacent. Maybe a lot complacent. But I sense the drift. And it's time for me to get back on track. I sense the Holy Spirit just kind of nudging me. Now's the time to stop the coasting and wake up. Jesus is coming. The hour is urgent. We are in a potentially dangerous situation in the world in which we live. Now is the time. Now is the time. And so I'm just going to ask, we're going to have a moment of silence. If that is your heart, we're not going to have music playing. We're not going to do the emotional thing. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But I just want this raw. The Holy Spirit just touching hearts. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to come here, and we're just going to pray together, okay? While everyone else heads that way. If you sense, this is my time. This is God speaking. He's been nudging my heart. I need to come out of my complacency or my tendency towards complacency. I'm just going to ask you, heads bowed, eyes closed, you just come forward right now. We're just going to take a moment of silence, and as the Lord speaks, if he's speaking to you, just come on up right now.